Welcome to Bright Now, a podcast about parenting and educating talented kids, sponsored by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth. I'm your host, Jonathan Plucker, the Julian C. Stanley Endowed Professor of Talent Development at CTY and Johns Hopkins University. In an earlier season, we discussed big picture issues related to creativity with Kristen Lamb. Starting with today's episode, we want to start getting more specific about how to encourage, foster, and increase creativity. We'll be focusing on doing so for children and students, but the research and principles we discuss generally apply to people of all ages. Our guest today spends a lot of time thinking about and acting on these issues. Matthew Warwood is Associate Director of the Digital Media and Design Program and serves as an Assistant Professor of Practice at the University of Connecticut. Matthew's past work includes the documentary Creativity in Education, Exploring the Imbalance, collaborating on the design and development of the Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences, and founding the Connecticut Student Film Festival. More recently, Matthew co-founded the Class of 2032 project and produced a documentary that explores schooling for a digital culture. Matthew also serves as an executive board member of the Everwonder Children's Museum, and he blogs at dadsforcreativity.com. Matt, thanks so much for joining us on Bright Now. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. So you're an educator, you're a parent, you're a scholar practitioner. It's, I think you have a, a very unique lens on things like developing creativity and uh, promoting student learning. I'm just I, wondering, from if, if you were speaking to a group of parents about fostering their children's creativity, are there one or two key strategies that you would normally recommend? I have three boys, and obviously all three are different. And it's taken time for me to get a better understanding of, of where are my children expressing their interests and expressing their creativity. So with my eldest, he was naturally curious about the world. Um, and so I was able to take him on nature walks, for example. Um, I would kind of you know lift up rocks and we would kind of stare at the, the insects. And one of the things that I wanted to do to try and you know, you know, utilize his curiosity for the natural world is asking questions. What do you notice about these insects? Um, what are they doing? Um, and then we would actually sometimes take some of these questions that would then come about from this experience and we'd bring them back home and we would sometimes use our mobile devices, the iPad, to then go and explore these questions together. So I think there is an opportunity for the parent and the child together to identify questions um, about a topic and then go and research those questions together. But I think the key is is trying to facilitate those questions from the viewpoint of the child and where they're at. So I think that's important. Um, and I think, you know, again, it, it changes. So if my, my middle boy, he's very interested in constructing things, making things. He's interested in Lego. He doesn't seem to care as much about insects and rocks. Um, and so I'm trying to, again, try and promote that curiosity, get him to ask questions about Lego, um, see if there's opportunities to, to bring in some kind of very simple engineering principles. But I think it's really about conversations. I think it's about conversations, and I think it's really important that um, the conversations are led by the students, uh, but by, not the students, sorry, by, by our children. So I think that's how I would, I would answer that question. And then I'd also add the fact that coming from the digital media background, I then also asked myself, right, now we've, we've kind of identified something, we've found something new, we've, 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 we've kind of um, constructed some new knowledge together. How might we 
you know, express that knowledge via, via a video with our mobile device? Or how might we express that knowledge through a drawing? So I always am, am kind of getting them to express their knowledge as well. You know, that uh, last part really, really resonates with me, especially when we're working with students, just to get them to understand that the idea is an important part of the creative process, but uh, like actually creating artifacts, creating products that then facilitate you communicating that creativity to others is really, really important. And in this day and age, I think with the rise of technology, which I'm I'm sure we'll talk about today some more. It's so important to be able to use the tools that you have available to take your idea to the next level, whether it's a prototype or, you know, if it's a poem that you've written down, but to to be able to use the available tools that you have to, to sort of take your creativity to the next logical step. I completely agree. And I would also um, make the connection to some of the affordances that we have as a consequence of digital technology and mobile devices. So some of the things that I've realized with my eldest, you know, we started off making videos together. So he's producing the videos. And then he's also watching the videos. And as he's got older, he's began to realize that the videos he makes can be shared online. And as a consequence, he has an audience. And the reason why I bring that up, Jonathan, is because it's amazing to watch my eight-year-old sometimes choose different words to express his knowledge from the perspective of how he thinks it's being interpreted by his audience. That's fascinating. And I've seen this change, you know, once he began to get an understanding that other people are watching his videos, he's completely changed on how he will um, communicate something about Lord Nelson. I mean, a great example was we were in England uh, over the summer and we were looking at, we were kind of, you know, as we do, looking at the kind of the history of the UK and we were looking at Lord Nelson and we went to visit the, the, the ship, the HMS Victory, and we went aboard the ship. And, you know, we, we came back and we decided to express what we had learned on a video. We captured it. And it's, it's a great thing just to have from, from a family perspective. You can mm. go back and um, recall that, that memory. And he asked me to stop the video because he wanted to reintroduce the, the story. And I said, why did you ask? Why did you want to stop? It was fine. He said, no, no, daddy, you don't understand because most of my audience are American and they won't understand that actually this ship is, we're in England and this ship is, is a British ship. And so I need to go and make sure that they have that understanding. Now, this is an eight-year-old. Mm. Um, and it was just really fascinating to, and I don't think I've installed that in him. It was really fascinating for him to begin thinking about his audience. And of course, that takes takes it to a whole new level because not only are you communicating um what you've what you've you've kind of constructed in your mind about a particular event but you're also thinking about how it's being interpreted by somebody else and i think that's really exciting from a creativity perspective from a uh, researcher's perspective matt we would call that creative articulation so uh, taking your product taking your ideas and then figuring out how to best interact with your audience um, to get the audience to appreciate your ideas, to accept them as being creative, and in some cases to to become champions for your work, and that's sort of like one common characteristic of every long-term creative producer is that they're good at creative articulation. The issue, though, is that we don't see people teaching that in schools very much, right? Like you don't see a lot of 
prototype building. You don't see a lot of thought going into, you know, how do we help students learn how to present their creative work? Um, so it's interesting that your son kind of was figuring it out on his own, in part because he's interacting with audiences and he's even at his young age starting to realize that audience interaction matters. You make me, uh, I don't know if there is a connection to be had, but, you know, trying to make the connection to what you've shared, um, you know, from a design perspective, I'm thinking about empathy. I'm thinking about it from the perspective of the user. And of course, in digital media and design, just today, for example, with my students, we had a conversation about checking assumptions. They were challenged to think about everything they, they know about a problem or think they know about the problem. And then toward the end, we turned this around and said, well, let's go through and identify how many assumptions were made. And of course, we can turn those assumptions into questions and then we can begin doing some design research to kind of find out whether or not what we thought is true is actually true. Now, the reason why I bring that up is, you know, I'm teaching this stuff and I find myself with my, my eldest sometimes, I don't know if it's good parenting or bad parenting, but three boys, they're arguing all of the time and I'm trying to teach him to realize that his perspective is only one perspective of what mm. just took place. And I, I, I do that to him all the time, you know, and, and he's, he, he's at the point now, he's like, I know daddy, I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm other sure he loves it. Yeah, I'm sure he loves that. <laughs> but, but the point is what you're making me wonder is whether or not he has began to, to take that on that idea that he, he has one perspective of the world, but there are other perspectives. And if we can get a better understanding of other people's perspective, we might be in a better position to then articulate our ideas to those individuals. And again, in design, we would talk, talk about this from, you know, empathy and looking at it from the perspective of the user. One thing that I often tell students in this regard is, yes, you're, you should let your work speak for itself, except in the 99.9% of situations where it can't, right? So very few um, highly creative people throughout their lifetimes just produce something and move on, right? Like they help people interpret their work. And if they don't do it, there's almost always another sort of gatekeeper or advocate um, who is uh, sort of mission critical in helping them do that. And, you know, the classic example is Van Gogh, probably, in that it was his brother was his champion, but his brother died soon after he did. But then it was his sister-in-law, um, and she went all over Europe uh, talking about how great of a painter Van Gogh was and slowly helped people understand the value of his creativity. And then when she passed away, it was Van Gogh's uh, nephew did it. And um, so he, he, even when you don't do it yourself, it, it, almost any famous creator that you can mention, uh, if they weren't doing it themselves, they had someone else helping them do it. But they also didn't control necessarily uh, the means of articulation, the means of dissemination, which students today do have control over just because how fast and ubiquitous technology has become. Uh, which leads me to my next question for you is, how does being creative, I mean, how does it change now that, now that, I mean, we, we are really seeing the first true generation of digital natives start to enter our schools. And I mean, even the difference between my own two children, I've got one who's 18 and one who's almost 14. Even in those four years, everything changed, right? So my son has never really consciously known 
a world without highly networked big data and technology. Uh, he's almost 14. My 18-year-old actually did, did enter school before this was really ubiquitous. So middle schoolers now are really the front edge of this true digital native generation. How does that change creativity and, and how we deal with it in schools and other ways? I think we have more opportunities to create and make. I think it's I think it's important to say we've always had opportunities to create and make. I I always remind people when we have this conversation that that when we express ourselves through a story, a written story with a pencil and a paper, we are still creating and making something. And we are still sharing that creation with other people. But of course their digital technology has expanded the different mediums that we have to communicate that information. So if you're not necessarily someone who's strong at reading and writing, you now have other ways to express that story. You could use Photoshop, for example, to express that story through a, through a still image. Alternatively, you might use another animation software to, to tell that story through an animation. And likewise, we've got the ability to deliver it via video. Um, our ability to share presentations, we always used to talk about um, uh, uh, in school trying to avoid doing um, uh, PowerPoint karaoke, which is basically this idea that you used to see with the PowerPoints. People have kind of pretty much written their entire deck of what they want to say and they've just presented it on the slide. Um, but now you're seeing a lot more powerful visuals that are being presented by students when they stand up and present their work in front of people. So I think that the, the different ways we can express our creativity using these digital technologies is, is obviously extremely exciting. Likewise, because of the connection that we have to all of the different content that exists in the world, our ideas have, have flourished. So, you know, the chances are, and, and maybe you could speak a little bit more about how we build on, on, on other ideas, but many of my students that, that, so for example, a student came to me recently and said, well, I want to do this project. I'm going to create an animation every day that lasts 15 seconds. And it was a really exciting project. Mm. And I said to him, where'd you get this from? And it's this thing that takes place on Instagram. Because Instagram is a technology, you, you know, you're limited to how many um, animation, uh, how many seconds of, of content you can share. And so people have come up with different ways of expressing their talent within the, this, this kind of like uh, short time period. And then it's gone on to become a thing. And so you can go out onto the, the World Wide Web and you're exposed to so much more ideas that you can then combine with your ideas. So I think I think that's one of the ways that we're seeing, um, you know, uh, more ideas. But but again, I want to be clear. I don't think creating and making has always been around. So I, I still value for me personally that ability to articulate ideas on a paper as well as as, as via a video. You've already talked about different strategies and ideas that you know, parents can use and that students should keep in mind. There's obviously a lot of crossover with educators, but I do want to ask specifically, I, I, how, how does this apply, the things that you've been talking about, to people working in schools with kids in, in the classroom? I think this applies, you know, for, we, we just need to make sure we continue to ask questions all of the time. I don't think we should limit the creation to one single product. Um, I think we need to make sure that our students have different ways to express themselves. And I also think that we should encourage our students to not necessarily commit themselves to one medium. So if a student regularly likes to express themselves through video, I think during the course of an academic year, we should challenge them to express themselves through different mediums. I think that's important as well. 
Um, so that, I think that I think that's something that's extremely important. And then the other thing I think we need to do as students get older, I think the idea of, of looking at creativity from from in, an individual perspective is important. But I think more and more of us have to get a better sense of our audience. If we're producing something that is going to be consumed by someone else, we need to be thinking about how is it being interpreted by other people. Uh, I think that's a, a key a key aspect that we need to consider as well, particularly for our programs. Um, we need to be aware that we are designing solutions for others, that that an, an audience that isn't just ourselves mm. anymore. We're going to have to leave it right there. Uh, thank you, Matt. Matthew Warwood is the Associate Director of the Digital Media and Design Program at UConn Stanford, and he also blogs at dadsforcreativity.com. Uh, I'll be sure to put links to the blog and Matt's other work in the show notes. Uh, Matt, thanks for being on Bright Now. Thanks so much for having me, Jonathan. That's it for this episode of Bright Now. Tell us what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes by emailing your suggestions to brightnowpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy Bright Now, support us by sharing the podcast with friends on social media, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Bright Now is produced by Jonathan Pucker, Tracy Guerin, and Trisha Schellenbach. Audio production by Iris Starkangelo and the team at Clean Cuts, a 3Cs company. Our score was written by Austin Coughlin from Noise Distillery. Special thanks to CTY's Interim Executive Director, Amy Shelton. Bright Now is underwritten by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, a nonprofit dedicated to identifying and developing the talents of academically advanced students worldwide. Find us on the web at cty.jhu.edu and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.